We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Greg Olson here to tell you about my new podcast, TE1. On the show, I had a chance to talk to my fellow tight ends who have revolutionized the position from an extra lineman to a dual threat superstar. And just like my guests have changed the game, this year, NFLSundayTicket.tv is revolutionizing your NFL viewing experience. Stream all the live out-of-market NFL games every Sunday on your favorite devices and never miss a moment from your favorite players. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use the promo code GREG88 at checkout and get 15% off your subscription. That's NFLSundayTicket.tv and the promo code GREG88. Subscribe to TE1 and get NFLSundayTicket.tv, an unmatched dual threat. Blue Wire. Breaking news, Terry Rozier. He'll be the next starting point guard of the Charlotte Hornets. Step back, wide open, and it's good! Terry Rozier! What's up and welcome to another Buzz Beat, your Charlotte Hornets podcast on the Blue Wire Network. This episode is brought to you by our partners Bet Online, Deal Dash, and Sunday Ticket. Please check out our latest episode that was released on Monday. I interviewed four people, including Devontae's high school coach, to discuss Graham's breakout season. It was really a good listen. And then on today's episode, Brian and Spencer are going to reveal their number 11 to 20 big board for the NBA draft. We actually had a live show on Tuesday evening on Periscope, and let's go ahead and jump right into their conversation. And again, you can watch this video on Periscope if you would like to see the video in action. All right, let's jump right into Brian and Spencer's conversation. I'm excited um, about this episode, Brian, because I actually think, and we've talked about this a lot, I actually think this 11 not even 11 through 20 specifically, but really like 11 through the rest of the draft is where I'm almost like more interested. I think there's so much value in the middle of this draft. It's why like if the the Hornets or any other team could trade back into it, it's it's so great because you get to you get take on assets and then tap into this sort of like middle third tier of the draft where, yeah, you can find rotation pieces. You can find some interesting gambles with some upside. Um, yeah, there's lots of ways that it, that it can go. This draft is, is certainly lacking in, in some capacities, but um, it has its strengths and perhaps some of them can be found um, in the late lottery, late teens, early 20s range too. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, I mean, totally agreed. Um, so I got a feeling that, well, actually, first, let's let's recap our top 10. Um, I'll read Richie's first. <clears throat> he had Anthony Edwards, Killian Hayes, LaMelo Ball. So that's his first tier there. Four, five, six, Tyrese Halliburton, Anyaka Akangwu, and Devin Vassell, his mid-tier. Uh, and then the third tier here, seven through 10, Obi Toppin, James Wiseman, Denny Advia, and Kira Lewis Jr. Uh, BG, how about yours? Yeah, I went uh, Lamelo Ball one, Killian Hayes two, sort of one A one B, but but with Lamelo above Killian, 
Um, subsequently, I've watched a lot of Killian Hayes, more like a, b- a bunch more full games of his since then. And, and man, I really like Killian Hayes a lot. But yeah, Anthony Edwards, three, Ayeka Nkongwu, uh, four, Denny Avia, five, Devin Vassell, six. I would maybe almost want to flip those at this point, but that, that's fine where they are. Tyrese Maxey, seven, Kyra Lewis Jr., eight, Isaac Okoro, nine, and Alexei Pukasevsky at 10. All right, I had at one, two, three, Anthony Edwards, Killian Hayes, and Yaka Akongwu, four, five, six, Lamelo Ball, Denny Advia, Isaac Okoro, seven, eight, nine, ten. I, I will go ahead and uh, a little precursor here. One of these players that we'll get to in, in a moment has actually dropped out of my top ten in, in my big board. Um, so, I, so I'll, I'll go back and tell you later who that player is and who has replaced him. So my seven through ten was Obi Toppin. Devin Vassell, Kira Lewis Jr., and Tyrese Halliburton. Um, so I, I gave – I texted that to you and Richie before we yeah. got on here because I was like, oh, well, I, I just realized this has changed. So, anyways. And it's totally, natural, it's totally natural for that stuff to, to change as well, too. Like, I, I don't have anything in my top ten. I, I feel pretty good about that. But there was, like, plenty of movement for me – from you know ten to four, from eleven to forty in this forty-five in this draft, the last eight weeks, and there probably will be even more after that because we've got two more months before the draft, and uh, only now do we sort of like have a better idea of which college players are are in or not in. You know, we found that out last Monday actually. So you know, we know Xavier Tillman's in, and he will probably make my top thirty. But guys like you know Aaron Henry, Isaiah Joe. You know, those guys are went back to school. Um, so, yeah, there's there's plenty. There's I'm not surprised that you had some moving and shaking around your board because I know mine did as well. And, and I know it will again going forward, too. So I think we have some similarities, 11 through 20. I also think there's some, um, you know, I, I'm looking at some of your names and realizing that maybe one of them I should have been bolder on and, and put mm-hmm. here, too. But. But then I think we have some things that are very different. So this is going to be yeah. fun. So let's start. Let's start with you, BG. Why don't you walk through 11, 12, 13 on your board? Yeah. Uh, starting with 11, um, we'll go with uh, Patrick Williams forward from Florida State. Uh, just turned 19 last week. He's the youngest uh, American uh, prospect in the draft. 6'8", 225 pounds. Uh, muscles on top of muscles. And this guy is uh, a really interesting, I think, development piece. I think there's a decent floor for him as a prospect um, because I think he's a guy that could very easily slide into eventually being a a fourth or a fifth starter on a roster or even a a bench forward that comes off and, and gives you contributions with his ability to guard a couple different positions and create events uh, defensively, but perhaps as we discussed uh, on a, on a podcast with Patrick, uh, you know, talking about Patrick Williams a couple months ago, you know, is there another tier for him? And I, I think if you draft him in the top 10, you're sort of expecting, Hey, this is risky, but there's a chance that this guy has the ability to become something more like look at his size, like look at his athleticism. Could, could this guy become like a, you know, a legitimate plus rotation player that can impact the game on, on two, two facets of the court and perhaps even just be a guy that could get you a bucket because of his, his, uh, you know, his frame and his athleticism. And I'm not even like banking on that. Exactly. I'm just saying, I think his median outcomes with Patrick Williams are pretty intriguing. Um, Two and a half percent steal rate this season, five and a half percent block rate, uh, shot really well from the free throw line. Uh, I believe over 80%. I should probably have that number in front of me. I don't write this second. Um, yeah, 84% from the free throw line, just 32% on threes, but showed some pull up game, ran some pick and roll, even for Florida state this season. And I like his ability to, you know, run pick and pop, when, when a closeout comes, you know, hard dribble one or two times to sell into that pull-up game. I think that's a good indicator, not just for, like, how he can project as a shooter going to the next level, but that can be something that he just adds, and it's a it's a nice part of your offense no matter what. Having guys that can, you know, slip ghost screens and, and pop into space and then, you know, attack off, the off you know, whatever pull-up advantage their teammate, you know, i.e. Devontae, 
would uh, would give them in this scenario. So I like Patrick Williams. He gives you some rim protection. Um, he gives you there's some good shooting indicators. Uh, six man of the year in the ACC played a role, bought into the winning concept that uh, in the culture of Florida State basketball this season, which I think was impressive. And I I think that adds to his sort of overall the appeal as a prospect. Um, if you have a system in place, you have a culture in place. If you're focusing on development. I think there's a lot of upside with uh, with Patrick Williams as well, too. So Pat Williams was 11 for me. Uh, number 12, uh, this was the uh, the most popular name, I think, in college hoops this season. Um, Obi Toppin, Obadiah Toppin. Um, man. All right, so, so let me stop you yeah. real quick because you're bringing him up first. So this is actually the player that dropped out of my top 10. Okay. And I had him at seven. So, like, he really yeah. dropped. And I think he's even lower on mine. Than the, but anyways, continue. I yeah, yeah, so we can we – can, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to talk talk some Obi, actually. Um, because there's, there's a lot to like, and there are some huge, huge problems too, right? I mean, the offensive oh. skill set is, is immense. And I buy the shot. I and he's a very clever passer. Um, the ability to pass out of the post, read a double team, read sort of second line weak side defenders, uh, yep. look for cutters, spot up players. Um, yeah, like he he pass with either hand, lasers cross court, whip pass with his left hand. Like he he can do his passing package is is really appealing. Yep. And if you buy the shot. Plus the athleticism, his ability to catch a lob and also run, pick and pop and get into DHO, which then opens up fake DHO stuff to pass on the short roll. Um, yeah, I think there's there's a there's a sort of an interesting floor with this guy as a piece, because I think, yes, if you add him to your roster, it puts some tough limitations sort of on how you're going to roster construct, what the ceiling of your young core may look like as a guy that's probably one of the older prospects in the draft as well, too. But just yeah. the defensive limitations in his in his sort of like inability to get in a stance and to slide defensively, to put himself in good position. Like sometimes he sets himself up for failure defensively, too, in the half court. Mm-hmm. He's just in the wrong place to guard uh, guard ball screens. So, um, yeah, the, the hips, Spencer, you said this when we talked about him a couple weeks ago, really stiff, and it's so true. Like, he needs – yeah. He needs yoga. He needs help. He's a specialist. Like, yeah. it is weird. The, the dissonance between how high that guy can jump and how high, how long he can hang in the air and the body control and all the cool stuff he can do playing above the rim. The it's distance between yeah. that and his inability to slide defensively or get low is, is weird. Um, it almost think- seems like that there's a – like a, a legit physical concern there. Like I yeah. wonder if teams yeah. were able to like really have good uh, physical information um, that something would come out about that yeah. I mean, because you're right. I mean, his verticality and the way he plays in the air uh, and the way he plays in a straight line versus trying to do almost anything side to yeah. side is like, it's crazy. This can't be right. This doesn't add up. So, it's, it's yeah, I, I, I'm terrified about him on the defensive end. Yeah. I, it feels a little bit hopeless. That's probably a strong word, but I, I'm not sure where he's ever going to fit. And, and given how explosive he is athletically, too, like really a pretty paltry block rate this season as well, too. If I not paltry, but yeah, four percent. That's that's okay. That's fine. You know, four percent for his this year and for his career. But with the, with that guy's explosiveness, I mean, you would think he would have it would be north of that. Like Patrick Williams had a higher block rate than, than Obi this year. And, you know, different schemes, different, uh, you know, different asks of them in terms of defensive responsibility too. Um, but I just think he's a guy that you, you sort of like, not like he's a totally like a copy and paste guy. Cause I think fit is important, but he just seems like a guy you, you get him, you give him minutes. He's just going to give you efficient scoring, and some assist, you know, some playmaking too, you know, and yeah. he has an impact that's like John Collins in Atlanta, which, yeah. you know, yeah, he he can definitely make your offense better. He can do some cool stuff, but now as they're getting ready to potentially extend John Collins, now you're seeing some issues that they might be running into as as well. And the last thing I'll say about Top, and, and maybe again, maybe we can get into him more, is like. I don't like the fit in Charlotte with he and PJ. They, I think they're both fours. Um, I think he's the worst fit of guys that are being mentioned. At the top 10 right now. I, I, I think I agree. I think I agree just because of the position. I know we're going best player available, but he's older than PJ, you know, like, yeah. you know, so that you got to consider that as well too. But I do think like, 
the small ball offensive lineups with Toppin and PJ at four or five and Devontae at point guard would be fun, but yeah, they would just hemorrhage points. Um, it's not really like a sustainable thing. And then for number 13 on my board, and then before I, I, I get done yammering and flip it over to you, uh, I've got Cole Anthony from, uh, from UNC. I really do think Cole and LaMelo are like the two most vexing prospects in the drafts. You know, I think if Cole can get anything close to where he was pre-UNC, people like me that have him sort of like pegged late lottery are going to look really stupid because he was an exceptional prep player and a guy that a year ago was pegged as sort of perhaps the number one prospect for the 2020 draft. And it didn't happen at UNC. Um, he lacked pop. He lacked explosiveness and inability to sort of like get to the rim Part of that was offensive fit, spacing issues that UNC had in secondary offense and in the half court. Um, you know, he did show some good aspects of his game in terms of pull-up shooting. I can queue up those numbers here in a second. But, um, yeah, decision-making up and down at times. I think has the ability to be an okay passer. But, look, I just think there's there's – Cole is really talented. If he can physically get back to where he was before he got to UNC, and again, there were some injuries, including arthroscopic procedure on his knee done less than a year ago, um, and he, again, never quite had the same athletic pop after that. So if you can sort of get some of that stuff ironed out, I think there's interest in Cole as like a you know primary guard or maybe a, a secondary guard if, if the, the burst never quite comes back online. But yeah, Cole Anthony, just a little too much talent, the pull-up shooting, the pick-and-roll scoring, the catch-and-shoot shooting. Um, I, 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 that is enough for him to, to, to maintain um, lottery position for me. Well, if if you look stupid for having him 13th, then I'm going <laughs> to look way, way, way stupid. Yeah, right. So, Gets that right. later. Not even in this episode, we won't get to it. But uh, whoa, whoa, whoa! <laughs> and it's All not even. Right. That thing. I just really don't like that guy's prospect. And yeah. we can talk about that later. Sunday, Sunday, Sundays are coming back in the NFL with NFL Sunday TV. You can stream every live out of market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices. Plus, Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels never miss your favorite teams and favorite players. No matter where you live, NFLSundayTicket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to get 15% off your subscription. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use promo code BLUEWIRE. Have you ever heard of DealDash.com? It's the best, most honest bidding site where you can win things you'd never expect at a price you'd never believe. They have over 1,000 auctions every day on electronics, appliances, beauty products, home decor, and even cars. Here's how it works. It's like an auction, but every item starts at $0 and only goes up one cent every time you bid. The kicker is the auction clock restarts after just 10 seconds. That means every time you bid, everyone else has 10 seconds to answer or the item is yours. If you go ahead and buy now, DealDash is offering our listeners an extra 100 free bids upon sign-up on top of their other discounts. Go to DealDash.com and use offer code BUZZ or DealDash.fm slash BUZZ. That's D-E-A-L-D-A-S-H dot F-M slash B-U-Z-Z. All right, so let's get into my 11, 12, 13 um at 11 i've got paul reed he's probably my favorite my favorite player in this entire draft certainly some limitations um sloppy footwork the shot is is got some ways to go although there's i don't think it's necessarily as bad as it looks to the naked eye but i think this is the most versatile defender in the entire draft um you know six nine around 200 pounds. I think he's legitimately good to switch across five positions. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I love, love, love this guy's energy too. It's not just the athletic ability and the physical tools and the profile. He plays so freaking hard and with the chip on his shoulder at all times, he was one of the best rebounders in the country. He is one of the best stocks players. Certainly he is the best stocks player for a front court guy. I think in this entire draft, we talk about a Kongu a lot. Paul Reed's got quick hands, man. I mean, Tyler Bay's probably in that category as well, too. But, but, but even he's sort of like a weird 
you know, like, is he a true front court guy? And yeah, he doesn't have the blocks numbers that, that Paul Reed has either. Too. Paul Reed, yeah. So, you know what, and what I like about Paul Reed too, is that, you know, again, he has that sloppy footwork. That's not there yet. The ball skills are, are certainly suspect. I mean, you can see flashes, but it's not, you're not going to put the ball on his hands on the perimeter and ask him to attack right now. Um, you know, and then decision-making isn't online yet. So there are things to scratch your head about, but when you look at his energy level, his defensive impact, um, you look at his impact numbers, he's a winning basketball player. So you start with that, and then you say, okay, so he can play with the ball in his hands a little bit. He shot about 31% from behind the arc last year. Not terrible. 75% from the free throw line. That's a good indicator. Like, I think that there is a legit – small ball five rim running and also can can pick and pop every now and then again and, mm -hmm. and hang out the corner five here that is the player that every nba team is looking for um and so i just think with everything that he brings to the table he's being pretty severely overlooked as a prospect um, he's so a He's one of the guys I'm really hoping falls to to 32. Yeah, with Rick Carly. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, there, there's so much variance with these guys, but yeah. And, and to your point about there being some positive shooting indicators uh, during the 18-19 season, shot 41% on three, 77% from the line, and shot 70% at the rim during his sophomore season too. So has shown the ability to be a uh, a good shooter from a couple different levels, and perhaps you can. Um, project that jump shot into even more of a weapon um, going along with his defensive traits uh, in the NBA. 11's a little too early for my for my blood, but I really I do like Paul Reed a lot as like a a guy that can that can play in the NBA. Yeah, and quickly before I move on in the jump shot, when you watch it again to the naked eye, you're like, whoa. You I mean especially if you're a Hornets fan, you're like, whoa, MKG flashback right there. <laughs> but I would say that there's a hitch, but it's not a rip across the face hitch. And his footwork when he sets up is pretty good, but he shoots it on the way down almost every single time. And he has this forward motion where he just kind of he just moves forward when he shoots it, which forces his upper body to kind of bend backwards. I think all that stuff's fixable, especially for a guy that shot greater than 30% from behind the arc, right? So yeah. I think there's things to tap into there. All right, uh, number 12, Patrick Williams. I mean, you, you broke him down perfectly. He's a guy that rose for me uh, in the last few weeks when I started digging in a little bit more. The, what I liked most about Patrick Williams is he's good at everything. Not ex yeah. not excellent in anything, but good at everything. And the youngest player in this draft, American player. Um, so I think that this is a, a real, a real good case study on where he ends up because if he ends up in a place like, uh, I mean, this is a bad example because of the best player development uh, in the league, but Toronto, he's going to end up being another OG and an OB yeah, or, or maybe even better. That's, right? the, that's the comp, right? Like, I think that's yeah. like, that's one of the, not median comp, but that's like the, that's one of the higher level outcomes is that he he yeah. to OG part two. Yeah. He reminds me a lot of OG, but I think Patrick Williams has some ball skills already that OG didn't have coming out of Indiana. Um, mm -hmm. So, so I, you know, I think that there yeah. is, I think somewhere in here, there is like a star, like an all-star yeah. caliber player that can play with the ball in his hands, can create a little offense, um, you know, can be a pretty good pull-up shooter. Like, I think he can kind of do a little bit of everything on offense. On defense, uh, I don't think he's always locked in, but when he is, he's, he's tremendously impactful. Yeah. Uh, and he played in that Florida State system that is scramble, you know, run up and down the floor, 90 feet with your hair on fire, switch, communicate. And he did it pretty effectively as a really young kid. So I, I think give, that's a good sign. I give, I'm glad you brought that up. I give him a ton of credit for that. I actually just give yeah. Florida State's coaching staff credit for yeah. they yeah. weren't they weren't a one five switching team two seasons ago. They played with Chris Kamaji, seven foot four. They dropped on pick and roll. They went to the switch all component of their defense this season. So this time a year ago, they're installing that to Patrick Williams when he's like, you know, eight, 17, turning 18 years old. He picked it up. He guarded one through five at FSU this season. Like all the guys we talk about from FSU, we've mentioned this with Vassell. Trent Forrest is one of my favorite players and, and a guy that uh, I would sort of be interested in the Hornets looking at what that last second round pick that they get from Boston actually. Um, but all of those guys have said over the last year spent time guarding literally L five positions in the ACC. That's yeah. that has to count for something too. The full court defensive component is not NBA, -esque, yes. but the no. half court, their style, <laughs> yeah. half court, their yeah. style half court though is very NBA esque defensively. Yeah. 
So I think he is going to step in and be able to make high-level mm-hmm. uh, rotation reads pretty quickly. So I, I really like Patrick Williams. He could maybe get into my top 10 before it's all said and done. Uh, and then number 13, Obi Toppin. Um, you know, we talked about him. I don't think there's a whole lot more to say. I mean, his offensive skill set is, is really phenomenal. I mean, it just is. I mean, the things mm-hmm. he did at Dayton last year, whether it be playing in transition, on the short roll, passing, uh, corner step back threes. I mean, like, the guy yeah. is exceptionally talented uh, at his size offensively. And the way – I mean, he's a skywalker. I mean, he just yeah. goes up and gets it, and every dunk is a highlight dunk. And then you watch him on the other end play defense, and it just looks like, you know, you, you dropped an alien out of a spaceship and never played basketball. And you're like, okay, go on the court and try to figure this out at a very high level. That's what yeah. he looks like defensively. Yeah. And it is, it is baffling. It really is. Mm-hmm. It's baffling the, the mental aspect, what, watching him try to think his way through it, number one. And then number two, the fact that physically he literally can't move his feet and flip his hips to save his life is – it just – it doesn't make a lot of sense. So – I'm not. I'm not really sure what Ob. I don't. I don't know how he could ever be a starting caliber player on a good team long, long term because of the defensive concern. I think that maybe, you know, he's one of these volume scoring, front court six man kind of kind of guys. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I kind of think that's it. That's his ceiling. So I've got him at 13 just because of his offensive upside. But you, I mean you could talk me into having him uh, in the low twenties at this point, because I just, I just can't get on board with the limitations and his age. I mean, there's only so much. Yeah. To to yeah. You got to remember, uh, did prep school for a year and then redshirt his freshman year, then played two years at Dayton. So yeah, he's 40 years out of, he's 40 years out of, uh, out of college, out of high school, I should say. Um, yeah. Toppin was a, was an interesting guy to scout this year just because like it, it really was, I mean, look, all the credit in the world to, to Obi and to uh, Anthony Grant and, and those that put together Dayton's system this season. Like, I think there's an interesting comparison between what Cole went through at UNC this season and what Obi had at Dayton, which was Obi was put in a situation to to make them to to really get sort of like the best of his abilities, and hell, he took advantage of it, right? I mean, Dayton yeah. put put in this great system, continuity ball screens, UCLA screens to to get uh, Toppin down onto the block, you know, pick and pop, and then with the ability for Toppin to reverse the ball and to go into DHOs or to try to handle it into his own fake DHO place, and like his handle's not great. Uh, I mean, it, I think it gets him from A to B at times, but he can be turnover prone and I think get sped up in, in the open court or in transition or whatever. But then you compare that with Cole, who had um, you know a tough time in UNC system, lacking you know perimeter talent around him, and it, it put him in a tough spot that where he you know he really couldn't get to the best of his abilities. I think it's an interesting juxtaposition uh, with what Toppin experienced at Dayton this year. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. And I you know I just I didn't I wasn't concerned about this at, at first with Toppin, but now I think that. You know, being on that Dayton team uh, in the Atlantic 10, which isn't a terrible conference, but it's not a great one either. You know, things were made easier for him. They just were. And and I wonder if he's going to be one of those one of those good examples as we look back and say, ah, that college, that senior year was so misleading. Yeah. Uh, So anyways. All right. Well, I'll do my 14, 15 team first and then. Yeah. uh, You go BG. So I've got 14. I got James Wiseman. Um we don't really know anything about him other than he's, you know, he, he's seven one, two hundred and forty pounds, awesome rebounder, awesome shot blocker. Um, you know, I, I think project is a pretty good, um, you know, screen and roll, uh, you know, diver to the rim. You know, he's certainly going to be a highlight dunker kind of guy with his length, um, you know. But I, I just there's no sample out there to suggest uh, that this guy should be the number one pick in the draft, which you still see on so many mock drafts that, that mm-hmm. have to stay with that first pick. I just – I would hate to be the GM that <laughs> had an owner telling me you need to take, take James Wiseman number one. I mean, that yeah. – I mean, I, it's just like, no, you're not going to fire me now. Like, I'm going to make this decision, you know, so. He's one of those guys, too. It's like if you're, if you're making decisions for the Hornets and you're drafting, let's say you're at eight – if Wiseman goes top five, it opens so much up for you too, in my opinion. You know what I mean? It's like like you're guaranteed to get uh, a, a wing or a guard that I think you can really feel confident and happy about uh, selecting at eight, actually. Yeah, I, and I like Wiseman. Like, I think he's got, I mean, a pretty good 
looking jump shot. I mean, it's smooth. I mean, I think that at some point that there's a ch chance that he could stretch it out uh, just a little bit. And he's he's left-handed. Usually, left-handers are pretty good jump shooters. Look, look, there, there's totally a blueprint for him being a good or at least average starting center. Yeah, totally. Um, but you know, the footwork issues, the motor concerns, um, him in the, the small sample of pick and roll defense that we saw at Memphis was, uh, egregious, I would say. Uh, I mean, just absolutely clueless there, but again, he's young, like whatever. It was one season in Memphis, not to say he can't end up being a pretty good player. We've seen Deandre Aiden come a long way in that realm. So, uh, but I've got him at 14 and that's about as high as I could get with him. Precious Achua is my uh, is my 15 uh, ranked prospect. This is just like a ceiling kind of thing for me. His athletic ability is is off, like off the charts, or at least that's what it seems like to me when I watch him play. Mm -hmm. um, I think he's similar to Paul Reed in the sense that I think he's going to be able to switch across across five positions. Um, what he doesn't have that Paul Reed has is a consistent motor. When the effort is there. It's unbelievable the plays he can make. They're all highlights, especially on the defensive end and on the offensive end. But, you know, if he's not motivated and into the game, um, it's a real mystery. So he's not under control with the ball. He's not a good jump shooter yet, although he's not a an incapable jump shooter. Um, but I think if you get him into a system that goes up and down the floor, um, that likes to switch on defense – you know, I'm, I'm again. I'm thinking Toronto. I'm, I'm sorry with those no. examples, but like no, they go, no. out, they grab it, they go, they switch defensively, they communicate. Like if he's a great fit in Toronto. He's a great. If fit you can get him opinion. to lock in mentally and and communicate, and then he would be perfect there. So, anyways, I I think there is. I think Precious can can reach a top five player in this draft um, at his best. What plays out from here, and also think he could be a guy that's that's not in the league you know, here in three or four years, but mm -hmm. I think the ceiling's too high. So that's why I've got him at 15. Okay. Yeah. Um, for, you know, I can just to add on to Wiseman, um, just your archetypal, you know, center, right? Rim runner, lob thread, good catch radius. You drop him in pick and roll coverage. Um, he's going to have to get a lot better there, but can protect the rim and catch a lob. So like he gives you this discrete set of skills that we know have some baseline level of value um, in the modern NBA, how valuable are they? It, it almost goes case by case, depending on player, team fit, and held the situation, regular season, playoffs, opponent, matchup, whatever. Um, but yeah, there's some stuff he's got to work on. He's got to do a better job getting in a stance. Um, bad positioning, bad decision-making uh, defensively as well for Wiseman. And yeah, Precious is another one of those guys that like I, I don't expect him to be at 32, um, but I'm sort of fingers crossed that, he's, that he would maybe slip all the way to the second round for Charlotte um, plays hard as hell. Some really interesting defensive potential, but um, okay. With, for my 14 and 15 uh, for number 14, uh, Tyrese Halliburton, sophomore guard from Iowa state. Um, I'm glad that I got Tyrese in here late lottery. I really like Tyrese Halliburton, even though he sort of slipped for me. Uh, the last probably four or five months. There are very real concerns and limitations with him. A lot of those center around, you know, his inability to probably project out as a primary creator, his inability to finish at the rim this season. We saw a lot of him settling for floaters this season. Um, it didn't score very few points just overall right at the rim. Um, but man, he can do a lot of other stuff. An excellent offensive connector, great transition passer, great floor vision, can pass out of the pick and roll too, really well actually. Yeah. It's just, will he have the pull-up gravity, the threat of his pull-up shooting enough to sort of like force that that first defensive exchange, you know, for the, you know, either for a switch or for, you know, to make sure that the guard has to fight over the top in rear view pursuit and that he gets to go against a drop center and penetrate and force rotations. Like, you know, that remains to be seen, but. So this is the guy that, that jumped into my top 10. See, as you, yeah. you, as you were, I think you were pretty high on Tyrese at the very yeah. beginning yeah. and I was kind of the opposite. And then we flipped, he yeah. wrote for me and dropped for you. Yeah. I, his impact. I, I went back and watched a few of his games and, and, and re reviewed the, uh, the impact numbers. They're incredible. 
I mean, yeah. like his yeah. assist percentage, uh, how efficient he was all over the floor shooting wise. I mean, it's you have all these great indicators, but yeah, you watch him and how slowly he gets into his shot. And then, yeah. you know, I think he's got to put on so much weight and muscle. He's going to get pushed around. He, get, he got knocked off his spot in college. You can't imagine that's going to be any different in the NBA. Yeah. Be worse. So, but I, just the impact he had, I had to get him into my top 10. Yeah. And, and I think there's some interesting, specific to Charlotte, I think there's some interesting fit you know, concerns, some of which are good, some of which are bad. I mean, like, I think he and Devontae can kind of fit, you know, Devontae handles the ball a lot, but neither of those guys can put pressure on the rim. That's a huge problem. But in terms of some of the stuff they can do in the half court, I think that's interesting. Um, You know, who knows if Devontae is really the the long-term solution in Charlotte. I mean, he's very good for right now, but you know, who knows, three to five years from now or whatever. And also, look, the Hornets played, they were the slowest team in pace this season. They they, they were dead last in terms of time of possession after uh, just overall in the half court and then after a, a made field goal by an opponent. They were at 18.1 seconds per possession. That was last. And just an overall in terms of pace, doesn't matter if you look at it, you know, NBA.com, cleaning the glass, whatever. And I think Halliburton's the guy that needs transition. Now, maybe if he was in Charlotte, he helps you open up some of that just because he's a head ahead pass monster. Um, and then for number 15, um, RJ Hampton, uh, who I kind of have like a late lottery grade on too. And I just want to say too, Hampton is the last guy that I, that I get to, or I think if, if the Hornets take anyone that I have in my top 15 at eight, I think you can justify it. It's sort of like what the, one of the conclusions I sort of felt as I was gaming this big board out the last couple of weeks. But um, yeah, look, shooting is one of the aspects around his game that could really use improvement. Um, I, I think there's a wide, wide variety of outcomes that you could get for this guy as a shooter shot just 30% on threes this season, um, three attempts per game. Look, he's not ready to come in and just, you know, some teams are going to want to give these rookies the ball and say run X amount of pick and rolls per game. And it's like, luckily because of Devante, because of Rozier, Miles Bridges, Malik Monk, like some of these other guys playing on the ball, it's like RJ, wouldn't have to come in and do that right away. Um, has some playmaking chops. I think at the least now you can feel like he can, there's some secondary creation he projects into. And, and maybe if he really, really gets to the outward bounds of his uppermost projections, uh, hell, maybe there's, maybe there's more of this, you know, but 18% assist rate this season playing for the breakers um, in the MB, uh, NBL. And one other thing I would mention too, he can really put, you know, puts pressure on the rim, right? Yeah. Uh, 38% Charlotte's field goal attempts this season. We're at the rim this season. That was uh, six in the NBA. We talk about that. Charlotte's uh, shot profile on the show a lot. Um, but they shot just 59% at the rim, which was worse than the NBA, too. A lot of those rim attempts, as you would expect, came from Malik Monk. That was a good thing. But the other ones came from Cody Zeller, uh, Miles Bridges. Not a lot of outside of Monk, very little like backcourt. We're driving from 25 plus feet out to the rim and maybe with Hampton, you get some of that. Um, defensively, he has a lot of tools Two 2.8% steal rate this season in 17 games. Um, but Charlotte staff would have to really coach him up defensively as well too. But yeah, I like, I like RJ Hampton. I like the upside and, and I think Charlotte is like not a bad place for him to potentially land both from a team perspective and from a, a you know, prospect development perspective as well too. Sure. Yeah. Uh, well, it's it's funny you have him at fifteen and just broke him down because I've got him uh, at sixteen. Hey, perfect timing. Yeah. And so I'll go ahead and what I'll do is I'll go ahead and read off my sixteen through twenty. We'll try to go through these last five quicker. Yeah. We'll a little bit of NBA bubble before we get out of here. Cool. So I've got Hanton at sixteen. Totally agree with you. I like him. He's one of these guys that like I get why he went why he went to New Zealand, uh, why he took that route, make money, play play in a pro mm-hmm. league. Great. A good pro league too. But I think it hurt his draft stock. Um, he didn't get enough minutes. I think if he would have gone to college, people would have seen number one, we could do in a larger sample. And then it, it wouldn't have been the competition that he saw in the NBL. So I, I think it, I think it hurt him going over there a little bit. Anyways, I think the best game you can go watch for RJ Hampton is the preseason game that the breakers played against Oklahoma city. I thought he did some good stuff guarding Chris Paul in a very, very small sample, but some good stuff showed off his length. He can move his feet. I like how competitive he is on the defensive end. And I think it actually surprised me a little bit. I don't think I noticed that the first time I scouted him. And I just think he's under control as a ball handler. Um, I, I also 
really the first time I scouted him, uh, I guess was the game that they played Lamella Ball's team. Mm-hmm. I did not see a guy who got to play in the, with the ball in his hands a lot, and he did against Oklahoma City, and I think he has the potential to be a lead guard. Uh, a lot of things have to go right, and he has to be in the right situation, but I think he can be um, a guy who's who's setting up his teammates, who, who's scoring – you know, 18 to 22 points a night. I mean, I think he's got that potential. And then obviously off the ball, which you were talking about, BG, I mean, as a cutter, he's really going to put pressure on the defense. If he can become a smarter cutter, uh, learn to live on that bait in that baseline area, you know, be in the dunker spot every now and then he's going to, he's going to get some highlight, highlight play. So got him and number 16, Theo Maldon, uh, 17, Tyrese Maxey, 18, Aaron Neesmith at 19 and Sadiq Bay at 20. So quickly with Maldon, you know, I, I think that he's a project certainly turns the ball over a lot. At least he did uh, in his time professionally in France, but he's been playing professionally in France since he's like 16 years old. So, you know, this guy's got some experience under his belt. He's a budding shooter. I, I think that that is, is going to happen for him. The shot looks good. And he's just, he's, he's really a, high IQ player with the ball in his hands, knows where his teammates are, can dump it off to the big, uh, off a of pick and roll very easily, can flip it to the opposite corner. His ceiling isn't super high, but I could see Maldon being an average starting point guard, yeah. like 15th or 16th best starting point guard in the league if things check off right, you know, at the apex of his career. I agree. Uh, Tyrese Maxey, you know, I, I, I'm back and forth with Maxey. I... You know, he, he, he's got zip. He's got pop. He's not scared of anything. Um, he moves without the ball. Uh, I mean, he was kind of the, 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 the energy spark plug for that Kentucky team last year, I thought. But I don't see a guy that's very under control on either end of the floor. And, and I've got some defensive concerns, too, with him. He, he melts on every single ball screen. Uh, hmm. I think because he goes so hard offensively, he just, like, has to – he has to take time off at some point is what I see in him sometimes. And that shows up on the defensive end a lot. And then with the ball in his hands, my biggest concern is that he gets tunnel vision very, very badly. Yes, that can be fixed, but I don't ever think Max is going to be a lead guard, like a, a guy that has the pressure on his shoulders to set up teammates. I think he views himself as a, as a score first guy. And the problem with that is he didn't do it very efficiently at Kentucky. Um, I could see it working out where Tyrus Maxey's a starting two guard in the league somewhere, but I doubt yeah. it. I think he's a, I think he's a reserve. Uh, Aaron Neesmith is, is number 19 for me. I mean, 52% from behind the arc last season. Are you kidding me? I mean, this guy was just unbelievable as a shooter, but I don't really know what else is here. No. Um, He's totally. slow. Foot, he's slow footed. Um, you know, I think he's fine defensively. You know, he's, he's got a nice frame, so he's not going to kill you, especially if he gets switched onto a bigger guy. I think he can hold his own, but he's got slow feet. He's not going to be able to stay in front of guards um, as a rebounder. He's fine. He's not great. Um, I just, he's just like a one trick pony. And I was excited about him at first because he shot 52 freaking percent in college from deep, but the more I watch him, the more I'm like, okay, well, what else am I buying into? I'm not drafting a guy in a lottery because he's a really good shooter. And, and also, also, if he played out over the course of a full season, yeah, you know, that, that three, you know, now he still would have bombed and shot, you know, in somewhere in the you know mid forties or whatever. Good but point, it, like, he yeah. wasn't going to shoot fifty five percent. But yes, to you, like to your point, he was the best spot up catch and shoot player in terms of effective field goal percentage in the country this season, albeit on a, you know, playing 55% of a season or 60% of a season or whatever this year. Right. Yeah. Good point. Good point. Mm-hmm. And then 20 is Sadiq Bay. Um, you know, he's, he's one of those guys that I actually do think he'll be picked. I mean, you see him mocked in some lotteries. I actually do think he'll be picked about 20th because mm-hmm. of his limited upside, but he's going to be in the league for like 12 years. Yeah. I mean, he's yeah. just solid on both ends. He was a really good shooter. I don't totally buy in on that on his mechanics but usually that stuff translate you know it's probably fine it's a little bit flat um defensively you know you think he can't stay in front of smaller guards but he does on film because he's got slow feet and then you think in the post you know he's gonna get switched on a bigger guy he's gonna struggle but he's got such a big frame you you cannot move that guy which is probably the most impressive thing about him defensively you know offensively 
Again, he was a great shooter. He was Villanova easily Villanova's best shooter this season. Um, he's got a little fun herky jerky post game where he kind of he gets you in there, he gets you on his hip. He'll flip right, flip left, flip back right, and then flip one up there at the rim or set his teammate up in the opposite corner. I mean, he's 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 got an old school game, but I mm-hmm. think it's going to translate. Um, he reminds me of Solomon Hill a little bit, a little bit. He's he's a little bit more craftier, but like that's kind of the kind of player I, I I see in him. And Solomon Hill is totally fine. I mean, he was a good yeah. player before he, he went through a lot of injuries. Um, I think that the team that ends up with Sadiq Bay is going to get him in the 20s, late teens, and they're going to be totally happy with it because he's going to work out and you're going to be able to play him right away. Yeah, I like I like Bay. We'll, when we do 20 versus 30, Bay will land somewhere in that range for me. Uh, the post game is interesting. I think it's a bit of a crutch. Like sometimes you'll see him like turn the corner and uh, he'll have like a crack of daylight to the hoop or can go one on one. And he was yeah. Immediate, immediately yeah, put yeah. his ass into every other dude that's right, starting him. Right. Not, not quite as comfortable going uh, OTD straight to the rim. Um, but yeah, like you said, that opens up stuff for him. Like he can score out of that. He can pass out of it. So it's sort of interesting. I, I wish, and to your point too about his shot, it's like he's the guy that's going to be shooting off the catch and off advantage so much that's like, yeah, there are concerns maybe with getting it off over the top of closeouts or whatever. But like, um, you know, he's just going to be shooting open shots so much. So it's like I worry sort of less, you know, again, there are there are real concerns. I'm not trying to, like, totally downplay all of that. But I'm sort of bothered less by that um, than maybe even someone, the guy like Halliburton, that you're sort of expecting to have the ball a little bit more because he's, you know, he's playing guard for you. If Bay brought more defense, and look, maybe he can improve defensively. I kind of like him as, like, a Wes Matthews type, actually. But, like, he's just not the defender. I mean, Wes is – you know, been in the, the league for 11 goddamn years now or whatever, and he's still a phenomenal defender that can chase guy around, guys around screens. And, you know, I don't think – I don't know if right now you can say Sadiq projects out to that. But, um, all right, let's try to go through these pretty quickly. Uh, for 16, I, I, go, I went international uh, uh, from FC Barcelona out of Argentina, Leandro Balmora, uh, Balmora uh, six foot seven. A six foot eight wingspan. Uh, he turns twenty next month. Played twenty four games this season uh, for Barcelona with their B team and uh, the 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 uh, their main team as well too. Uh, great size, um, great hips, fluid hips. Really can like play on ball, guard ball screens. Can turn defenders one on one. Three point seven percent steal rate across all competitions this season. Rock solid team defender too. Right tag rollers, uh, close back out, rotate. Um, and I was I think he has some highlight plays both in pick and roll defense and in DHO defense as well too. Just like blowing stuff up. Um, so Richie, real quick, Richie's making fun of you, Brian. He said, "Here you go with another made up international." <laughs> but what Richie doesn't no, see, I'm the I'm the Buzzbeat. Uh, I ha- handle the finances. A budget right. went up this year, so we got BGs, some international flights. That's right. Got him over there scouting in, in, in over in Barcelona, and wherever yeah. Alexi Palukakov is from. Palukovsky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah there you go. So, yeah. so we've, Brian's been out there. He's been uh, he's been seeing these. Yeah. yeah right. Well, so like it's uh, it, unfortunately it went away last week, which was very sad. But for about a month and a half, two months or so this summer, um, I had access to Synergy's international account. I don't. It just disappeared on me uh, a week ago. But I was actually able because of that to go in and watch a lot of Killian Hayes, Bamaro. Uh, Maldone, uh, Puko, like I got to see more of these guys than I sort of normally do in, in other years. So thank you, Synergy, for that access, but damn you for being withholding now because I don't have it anymore and that stinks. Um, all right, so Bomaro at 16. Uh, 17, Desmond Bain, man, six foot six, the best shooter in this draft, versatile shooter, off screens, movement shooting, uh, shooting off the dribble, pick and roll playmaking, he can pass, legit team defender that can slide across and give you some versatility defensively because he's got a good frame and he's just super freaking smart. Um, Like I get maybe sort of like the upside issues or whatever because he's he's not super duper explosive and he's older but like he can get to the rim too and man his shot could really be just such a freaking force um 
I don't know how like teams can't be watching. Like, have you seen the heat at all down in this season or, or maybe even in the bubble more recently? And, yeah, and I'm not, I'm not, they're, they're, they're really fun. And look, I'm not, I'm not trying to draw a comparison between Duncan Robinson, and Desmond Bain, right? I'm not trying to do that. They're different players, but like, sure. have you seen the way Miami is using Duncan Robinson? They, I mean, use him, I, they use him like he's fucking Clay Thompson, you know? Yeah, like, yeah they use him like he's JJ Redick. Yeah, it's, it's or, crazy. Yeah. And so, just like the two-man game between Duncan and Bam has been one of the more fun viewing experiences I've had in the bubble. They look like in between Bam and Duncan Robinson and and Bam and you know Hero's not there yet, but he's still a feisty and interesting scorer. They just it like it feels like Bam and Hero. That's like that's going to be East Coast. Jokic and Jamal Murray, actually. Yeah, yeah. Like that's actually like when I in but Bam, this defensive upside is obviously so great. Um well quickly on Bane before you go to yeah, the next yeah, one. Yeah. This, this is the guy that I was talking about earlier that I saw him in your top twenty and I'm like, why did you love Desmond Bain? You love yeah. everything about his game. Why didn't you put him in your top twenty? So I would expect that he gets there uh, before it's all said and done. Love Desmond Bain. Yeah, and, and look, the the spot-up numbers the last three seasons are monstrous. I mean, I'm talking about, yeah. like, you know, in a category of his own in terms of volume and efficiency. And then this past season, the, the, the off-dribble shooting really perked up as well, too. So, love Desmond Bain. Um, I mean, he's like the fingers crossed that he falls to 32. I mean, I wouldn't bank on it, but I think there that's a, that's a possibility. And I just – I'd love to see what Borrego could do with a guy that can shoot like that offensively. I think he could, Borrego could really weaponize him, turn him into a, a nice, effective player, a guy that could help the Hornets out day one next season and five years from now. The um, only question I have with Bain, yeah, because what he did with the ball in his hands with the pull up shooting last year was just, yeah. I think everybody was like a little taken back. Um, is th- there's some limited, like there's some, um, he has stiff hips too. He has yeah. and a little bit of slow feet. Like it's not terrible, but it's like it's one of those things where it's he's one of those college players that was so freaking effective offensively. And you're like, is that just the the very small thing that could be what holds him back in the NBA? I think the answer is no, but we've seen those examples before. So that's the only thing that I'm watching with Bane. Yeah. All right. Uh, moving along here to number 18, uh, friend of the pod, by the way, can actually say that uh, Grant Riller out of college of Charleston, um, lethal offensive player. I think one of the best perimeter offensive talents. It's like when I was looking at Riller and Bain, I'm just like, who are two of the best offensive guards in this draft? And, and that's why they landed up in this range for me. But Riller can play on and off the ball. He can run a pick and roll deadly deadly first step. Like I think probably the best first step in this entire draft, he gets from, you know, 20 feet out to the rim like that. And it's because the first five feet, like he's just boom, he's, he's by somebody. Um, cannot like you just, that's, that's rare, man. It really is. And, uh, just an elite finisher, at the rim uh, during his career at College of Charleston, uh, 650 attempts around the rim. He shot 70% on those looks. Um, that was 38% of his career field goal attempts, and 83% of those makes were unassisted. That is monstrous. And it's why, like, I, I think a fair amount of teams are going to have a first round grade on this guy, too. Certainly some defensive concerns. But, uh, but man, is he skilled offensively. Um, we already went through Wiseman. He landed at 19 for me. And then at 20, uh, Theo Maladone, who we talked about a decent amount already as well, too. But I would just add in good size. Plays for the, a club in Lyon that's owned by Tony Parker. Uh, he just turned 19 in June. Uh, you look, this guy, I think, can run NBA pick-and-roll offense. Like, I think he can. So I think there's, like, a floor for this guy that's at least – backup point guard that that comes in and, and runs effective second unit offense you think about like he's not again not comparing him to monte morris but can do a similar thing that what that morris does when jamal murray's out for denver um according to synergy ran 350 pick and roll possessions this season where either he used the possession or he passed to someone else that finished the possession uh his team scored right at one point per possession, uh, 55% effective shooting, just 15% turnover rate out of those looks. Uh, Maldon on his own, 49% effective shooting out of the pick and roll, um, shot 48% effective shooting off the dribble with really good volume this season, has 
good has good touch has a nice runner um yeah, crafty, crafty around the rim like can use angles has sort of that offset timing that you know it's going to keep keep shot blockers off balance um he's shifty he can change speeds i should add that that bomaro brings some of that that like that, that herky-jerky shift and craft to, well, to sort of a playmaking element with his game as well too yeah, yeah, real quick on Maldone, and I'm certainly not saying he's Tony Parker. It reminds me of him, but you, you can just tell this is a guy who's grown up watching Tony Parker film. Totally, totally. He's inspired by Tony Parker because there's elements of his game that you're just like Tony Parker. Yeah, now you wish he had Tony Parker's first step because that's sort of like the that's yeah. the what's the, that's the thing that the two big hangups with him obviously are defense. That's a real concern. Um, I think he can get better, and he had some okay moments as well too. Um, I mean, like a backcourt of Maldon and Devonte or Maldon and Rozier together would just get obliterated. Um, but one uh, thing that's not talked about enough with Maldon is his age. He's so so young still. He just turned nineteen last. Literally month. just exactly he just turned nineteen. So he's one of the youngest guys in this draft. Um, and yeah, and yeah, doesn't not super explosive. Doesn't have a lot of burst, but but man, he's like he's a he's a good offensive guard. He just is. Yep. Totally agree. All right. Well, that was uh, that was fun. 11 through 20. There you go. Big board for BG and I. Um, let's talk a little bubble, BG. So I'm just going to throw out a few questions for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll try to zip through this. All right. Now you've seen, I don't know, what, six games, seven games in the NBA bubble. Who is your NBA champion? Because, I, well, let me back up. Let me back up. Yeah. I think your NBA champion is going to be one of these three teams. So let me let me ask the question a different way. Who are you concerned most about when it comes to Milwaukee and the two LAs? Because I think there's reason to be concerned about all three of them right now. Yeah. So my favorite, the team that I'm most concerned with in man, I'm really trying not to buy into the like take complex that's going on right now. In fact, the last like 72, 96 hours of like NBA discourse of being like, what's wrong with the Lakers. I've actually found to be pretty annoying and, I, and I'm not super sympathetic towards, but I do think, yes, like they are, they have the the most red flags out of the three main title contenders, along with the Bucks and the Clippers. Um, yeah, I mean, they're so dependent on LeBron's playmaking. The half-court offense hasn't looked very good. Um, you know, man, they're just trying out all these different dudes along the wing. Um, and we'll see. Maybe some of them work. Uh, you know, Caruso, Caruso is a good defensive player. Um, they're better with him on the court, but he scored zero points against the Nuggets. You know, they're trying out Taylor Horton Tucker, who, like, I just don't know if he's quite ready for the primetime lights. You know, you're going to be relying on Deion Waiters. He thinks he's ready. He thinks yeah. he's ready. Yeah, yeah. That guy was ready to rock and roll. Yeah, Yeah. plenty of confidence. Yeah, that's for sure. And then, like the first pick and roll possession that he guarded, he went out and fouled a three point shooter on too. So again, I I mean, we talked about THT on this on before the 2019 draft. I like him as a prospect. Um, I just don't know about winning playoff games in in 2020. Um, So yeah, I think they have the most concerns. Look, I, I picked the Clippers in October to win the title. I still feel very good about that. I think there are continuity issues, but man, they can just play so many different styles. They got a bunch of different guys that can get from the three point line to the rim. Uh, they've got shooters, but really like, I get it that there are some concerns. They haven't had the entire team at any point this season, it seems like. Um, but I just think what they can do with Harold and Lou Williams to prop up their bench lineups, being able to stagger Kawhi and Paul George. You know, I wasn't like in love with the Marcus Morris trade when they made it because they sort of sold out on their last piece of like trade capital with that draft pick, but I get why they did it. And you know, I like how he fits with this team as well, too. They've got a bunch of good centers, Zubac, uh, you know, Harold, who we just mentioned, uh, Jamichael Green, who adds different, you know, stretch elements and, and sort of like defensive versatility bits to them. So I, I like them. And with the Bucks, I could ramble on about them all, all for a while now. What I'll say is, Man, they're awesome. Man, Giannis is crazy good. They're super reliant on Giannis, and, and you know, similarly to the Lakers with LeBron. Um, you know, we'll see how much they miss Malcolm Brockton. All season, I've been saying, man, it looks like they could have really used one guy that could both shoot and attack off the dribble. And, and Brockton's yeah. such a strong burrowing driver, and he's an excellent shooter. I know, I know there were health concerns. I know he would have been expensive for them to have kept, and I know they got a first-round pick in exchange for him uh, with the the trade to Indiana. But man, that dude is good. And um, yeah, there's they're going to clearly need Bledsoe, DiVincenzo, these guys to step up and, and give them some off the dribble uh, 
scoring, I think, in, in the postseason. Um, but defensively, they're awesome. And, and obviously Giannis is just like a total freak once he gets rolling downhill. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So great answers. Uh, I, I will add this. I think that, excuse me, I think that Milwaukee is in a little bit of trouble. Um, it's become very evident to me in the bubble that they are a playmaker short. I mean, I think what you said about a guy that could put the ball on the floor, drive to the rim and score, and just another shooter. Yeah, yeah. But, but they – here's the thing about Giannis that worries me a little bit in the postseason is that it's obvious, I think, now. I mean, when I watched that Toronto-Milwaukee game from start to finish last night, if you want to have the argument with me that Toronto – excuse me, that Milwaukee supporting cast is better than Toronto's, I just – I don't think it's an argument. I don't think it's debatable at this point. Yeah, no. Like, and, and so – but the piece Toronto has so many playmaking pieces, whereas Giannis coming downhill is the hardest thing to stop in the whole league. But he's not an, an exceptional playmaker. And when teams are going to throw everything they have at him, I just don't think Milwaukee has enough to to make up for that. And I think the bubble, I get it. Like there's no real incentive for them to play super hard. I think that whole narrative with a lot of teams is a little overplayed. These guys should be playing hard right now. They've been off for two months. Yeah. All right, but. I just – I don't see it with Milwaukee. I really don't. Like, I, DiVincenzo has been kind of a letdown. He's had a few nice games. Eric Bledsoe just – he's been fine coming back, but he looks a little bit stuck in mud. Chris Middleton is not a great playmaker, great scorer. But, you know, Marvin Williams is just kind of out there. He hasn't done much for them. I don't I, I don't know. I don't see it. So, I'm worried about them. The Clippers, I think they're going to be fine. Um, they're, they're awesome, man. Yeah, they're just so deep and scaled, yeah. and they're, they're they're built for any matchup in the league. I think they'll be yeah. fine. And the Lakers, I just think, are thin. I mean, if LeBron – I mean, they have the best two pieces out of these three teams we're talking about, LeBron and AD, but the rest of that team is kind of a joke. And, like, I'm sorry, but Deion Waiters look fine so far in the bubble, but if, if he's – if he needs to play 15 to 20 solid minutes in the, in the Western conference finals, I just think you're in trouble. They, they need, they need Danny green. They need to be able to like bank on, okay, this guy's going to take a half dozen threes per game and make like two to three of them. Um, and yeah. like right now, now, you know, green struggling a little bit and he had some shots against Denver that he's some of these like flailing two point attempts that, you know, he's not comfortable with. And he looked like he was lacking in comfort when he took them last yeah. night as well too. Uh, look, Green's a great player, but it's like considering the way that roster is set up, how their salaries are allocated, it's like, you know, look, Danny Green is, you know, he's an expensive player for them. And he's a great 3 and D player. He's a winning basketball player, um, versatile defender. But, like, yeah, man, they need, they need probably a little bit more from him offensively. All right, real quick, like five-word answer. You're one yeah. team that is going to surprise everybody in the playoffs. Who I've got, you know what? The, the Heat, the Miami Heat with Duncan Robinson, Bam Adebayo, Jimmy Butler, and, uh, you know, the rest of that gang down in South Beach. How about you? Okay. Richie says Boston. I, I don't I hate Boston. that. I think they're a little thin, too. They don't have yeah. a center. Uh, I, I Look, I think Toronto. I think they're going to win the East. Yeah, right, right. I'm with you on that. Yeah, and that's not a hot take, but I think they're going to beat Milwaukee. I, I think they're a better team than Milwaukee. They, they are that intersection of the highest level of basketball where effort meets continuity. And, mm-hmm. and you just – there's a lot of good teams out there, but they are the most connected team in the entire NBA. I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if they won the NBA championship. I, I wouldn't either. Uh, this season, they were so much fun this year. Like I've enjoyed the curtain call with for them this year. They've got everyone in their rotation can play make man all except for Ibaka. Like all, and he's he had a great season. He's good, but it's like everyone else can pass, dribble, and shoot. Right, crazy yeah. good playmakers all up and down the roster. They've got great backcourt. Um, you know, they've got a bunch of different guys at the end of the, maybe they don't have the one obvious guy, but I think between Van Vliet, Siakam and Lowry too, of course, you've got three bucket getters and like Ananobi, I think has been like one of the best defenders in the bubble. He's guarded LeBron. He's guarded. I mean, like he'll get the Giannis matchup. He's guarded bam. Um, so they got guys to throw at Giannis as well too. Plus just like, you know their half-court defense is absolutely lethal. It was last yes. season. It is absolutely. again this year. And, like, that's a problem for the Bucks, especially without Brogdon now, too. They just – they close the gaps. They cut off the baseline. They help that – they get to shooter. I mean, it's just unbelievable. The question for Toronto, and then I know we got to go, who's take? I mean, they're going to be in close games. Who's taking the shot in the last possession? You know, yeah. I, that, that's their question. That's really yeah. their only question to me. 
it, I think it just, I think it's going to be like situation. I think it's like time yeah. defenders, hot hand, but yeah, I mean like, cause it, cause it's, it, it, it's Van Vliet some nights it's Lowry other nights. And yeah, Siakam has like, yeah, that, right, yeah. that sort of like makes him the most appealing potential uh, candidate for that. I think. Bridget said Boston. He said Tatum's been amazing. Except against the Bucks. And then Patrick Connor too. Thanks for your comment. Blazers. Uh, Blazers, big game coming up here in a little bit. I mean, this Western Conference race is unbelievable. The, the right. Blazers have been so much fun to watch this year in the bubble. They really have. I've really been enjoying Portland play. Long live Damian Lillard, man. That guy. Yeah. He, owns, he owns. He totally rules. He does. Yeah, he does. All right, we got to get out of here. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, for Spencer, that's BG. And Richie, thanks for being in the background, producing all this and setting it up. And we will see you guys next week. Sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball is back in action, and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Check out all the odds, futures, and props to bet on, all available 24 7. And with the return of sports, Bet Online sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven time NBA champion Robert Ori. See what they had to say on what it'll be like playing without fans in a series they're calling Fandemic. Visit betonline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.